91.3 KBCS, Music and Ideas, listener-supported radio from Bellevue College. Next, what's happening on the ground in Poland, where Ukrainians are fleeing to by the thousands? Lance Foster is a volunteer who is currently in Poland to help. He spoke with me as he transported Ukrainian refugees in a car en route to Germany from Poland. I watched a lot of the news. I was devastated by what was happening. As the weeks went on, I had a, a crazy, weird experience of just feeling like I needed to go there and do something. And, uh, and so I had a, our family was planning on going on a trip, a spring break trip to Costa Rica. And I couldn't book it. Every time I was about to book it, I couldn't do it. And my wife said, what's wrong? He said, I don't know. It's just, I think it's because we're supposed to go to Poland for spring break with the family. She goes, you're crazy. We're not bringing our kids there. You know, because when you hear Poland next to the war, you think you think the war's in Poland too. She went she went away for four hours, she came back, she goes, uh, okay, I think you're right. So we booked the trip right then and we're going to Poland. The crazy experience where my wife and she was talking to a friend in a parking lot, and the friend said, Where are you going to spring break? She told her, and she was, Oh my gosh, I think my brother in law is there uh, doing some stuff. Maybe I should call him and see what he could do. So we didn't know this guy, but we showed up. Uh, I ended up going a week early than my family because he said they needed help right then. So I just went up there and joined them. And at the time, they were simply just going to the border and picking up people. Because there's these long lines of the buses. I, I remember in the beginning, these huge lines. The buses hadn't really got there yet. The big system hadn't got there. And so there was this massive amount of people waiting 10, 10 hours on each each process. And it was really, really cold when I first got up here. And so they were just going up there and helping assisting these buses that were getting people off the lines and taking them to a place that was warm. You will find need everywhere you go. And so for the most part, one of the biggest things we do right now is we will go down to the border and we will offer rides for people. And we will take them to uh, the main city of Krakow. And we will provide a hotel room for them for one or two nights so that they can rest, take a shower, get a warm bed, and then we'll meet with them after and, and help them along the way and where they want to go. Some of them know where they want to go immediately, but most, most just need rest because they can't think straight. They're, they're in flight mode, you know, where they just had just come from just crazy war experiences. Either they were in bunkers for a week or two or whatever, and they just want to just keep moving forward, moving forward. And they have that mentality when they get here, they just want to keep moving forward, but they don't, they're not really thinking where they want to go. They just, they don't want to stop moving. And so by giving them that night's rest, and I say night's rest, because if you go to some of these main centers like Medica, I mean, we're talking a thousand beds and these rooms are huge. One baby cries, the next baby cries, and the next baby cries, the next baby cries. One dog barks, all the dogs are barking. And so it's kind of this uh, crazy process where, they're doing the best they can in these mass situations, but all the lights are always on. We're in there all hours of the night and the lights never turn off. So they don't get rest in these places ever. And some of them are in there for two to four days and they are just, you know, zombies and they need a break. And so a lot of times when we talk to these volunteers, they will tell us who really needs help. And we'll go to those people that are stuck. Now, in between, because there's a lot of in-between times, we discovered suitcases being a major need. We see them carrying bags everywhere. 
And that's the one thing. So they're very strong, prideful people. And which in a good way, they're very independent. And so they say no to a lot of things. I'll be driving. I'll have clean pillows and blankets. They say no to everything. I got food. I got snacks. They say, no, 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 thank you. No, thank you. But when I offer to take their bag, they say, yes. They let me carry their bag every single time. And they are so heavy. And everybody has handbags. Nobody has wheels. It's all handbags. Or you'll see the pictures. They're just carrying like uh, plastic bags a lot of times with all their stuff, you know, which is probably a, a situation where they just had to get out of there fast. So we started doing suitcases. And the, the amazing part about the suitcases is we started in the train station. So I'll tell you the process where it goes. They start at the border and they have to get through, they have to exit um, Ukraine. And that, that wait time is six to 10 hours on average. The other night we were there, there were people that waited over 20 hours. And you might think, man, what's Ukraine? Why aren't they letting the people out? That's what my frustration was at first. But then I found out one of the reasons they're doing it is because all these fathers are at war and they're protecting these children from just going away with anybody. They want to make sure the right documentation is in place. And these kids aren't just escaping with anybody. So that's part of what gets delayed. So there's delays at the border for Ukraine and then they get through and then usually Poland side is really fast. They go through the Poland exit and they go through like 15, 20 minutes. Then they go through a trail where there's a whole bunch of tents on both sides of these sidewalks and they have free stuff on both sides. And they give everything away from, from uh, pet food to waters to regular food to uh, clothes to um, to whatever they need. And which is awesome, except one thing, they can't carry it. <laughs> so a lot of them, I kid you not, a lot of them just walk right through. And they're just kind of through that whole walking, standing situation. And they're just like ready to get moving. They will walk right through. And then they wait in the line at the bottom for a bus to pick them up. And it drives them 20 minutes to a refugee center, which they have to stand in another long line there. In that line, they will uh, get registered at the center, and then they'll have a whole bunch of free stuff in there. They'll have food, they throw the cots. It's pretty chaotic in there. So they'll go from there, and they usually get kicked out after two days, and some, some, some get beyond that time. But they'll move from there to a train station that's about five minutes away. They'll get bused over there, and they take the bus to another train station, which is in Krakow. And so then you have all loads of them laying on the ground in Krakow on the train station. And at the train station, there's more, they try to provide more help there to help them see what they want to go. Poland will try to place into a long-term place, which is just a, a long-term place of a whole bunch of more cots in the, a big room. And they get on a train and they just go to another country. And so that's another thing we'll help them do is we'll not only drive into their airport, give them rest. And when they do pick something, we'll walk them through getting a plane ticket, train ticket, and then walk them to the platform, make sure they get on the right train. And then at that point, we give them, try to give them instructions on what the, all the different stops are. But after that, we just cross our fingers and hope they can find, the, find what's next. Because some of those are like four transfers. And they got to change, change trains. And so we hope they can find it. But it's, it's pretty scary. 
have you heard about how far they walk? Uh, so the train drops them off in that border city. Uh, it's about a mile, mile and a half from that border city to the actual um, border. And that's, that's only one of the walks. Obviously, they walk wherever they came from. But I, if you saw and felt what they carry, they're carrying babies, kids, and then they're carrying all these little bags that they're so heavy. How do they know what to do next? And how do they know what the steps are? Well, and that's part of what we've transitioned to realizing is that uh, we're obviously an independent source of information. And because we've helped so many people go to so many different places, we now kind of understand what to expect from these different areas. Uh, because it's it's difficult. There's not a, a nice, clean cut, one page option for all these people, what their options are. And Poland... Poland wants the refugees to stay. And uh, I mean, so I've talked to some people that were part of the, uh, some of the upper charities that work with the government and everything else. And she, she was mentioning that there really is some, uh, a little bit of uh, money grabbing going on because for every refugee they get, they get so much money back from the European Union, blah, blah, blah. So kind of everybody's kind of going for that. And so as a result, it's not like this universal let's just share all this information to one place so everybody knows what their options are. And there's so much information that is being thrown around that people all the time just show up. They say, take me to the airport. I'm going to go to Spain because I hear there's free flights to Spain, but we take them and we walk in with them because we want to make sure they get taken care of. And there's nobody that knows anything about free flights to Spain. No airline knows anything about it. And so we end up just, saying, do you have somebody you go to? If you do, I'll pay for this flight right now for you. And they do, those that do, we'll do it. We'll get them on that flight and we'll just take care of it for them. So we have a lot of people that'll help fund for us to just take care of the refugees and we're doing everything we can in that regard. But there is a lot of misinformation out there. Uh, you know, like free, free trains, it's not always free. And so some of it, some routes are free now, but others are not. So. And little things like you can upgrade the first class as a refugee for $5, but nobody talks, nobody tells you anything. We, we learned that from one person and now we make sure everybody gets first class. Now why first class is important is because it's assigned seats. Otherwise they run to that, that economy car and everybody runs to it. And if they don't get it, they're standing for the next 18 hours train ride. So <laughs> for five bucks, I'll pay for every refugee that gets on that train. <laughs> brings up the whole luggage situation and we, we discovered at the train system we started because there's a mall right next to it there's a, a place we could buy suitcases and we bought we bought a handful we started off with a handful of them and the people when we asked them to give a free seat, suitcase you, you, you cannot you cannot believe their faces the mothers immediately just start crying every single time my family was here we took them over to the Ukraine side for the first time. And but we went over that Ukraine side with all of our suitcases. We probably brought, I don't know, 50, 60 over there with all my kids and everything. We pushed them up. And so we'd take a big suitcase with a medium suitcase and a small suitcase and carry all that in one. And then all of us had like four or five of them and we'd push them all up. We got to that other side and it was, it was the most remarkable thing. 
there's like there's like at least 20, 30, 40, I don't know, 50 volunteer tents on the Polish side, but on the Ukraine side, one. Just one. Once and it's not even a tent, it's just a, a folding table and it has water. And it's the uh, the Israeli group, which we love them to death because they're the ones that helped us learn the ropes and get to their side and back. And they also help. So we give them suitcases all the time to help them. But they helped us over there. And when we went over there and they came surrounding us, they didn't grab them. They just, they just were begging us for them. And uh, the Israeli groups kind of saved us a little bit. And they kind of got everybody out of the way. And they helped us bring the suitcases to them in the middle. And they brought them all in the middle. And then they helped us uh, pick people. They went around on that huge, massive line, well over a thousand plus people. That, that was the night that there was these 20 hour waits. And they went around that line and they looked for the most desperate, the seniors that needed stuff being carried or rolled. They looked for the young mothers with kids carrying stuff with all their bags. And one by one, they would go and pick people and they'd bring them over to the center and, and my wife would then give them a suitcase and then she would reach her arms out for a hug and they would hug her and they would just bawl. Both of them would just cry. And she would hold them for like, I kid you not, it was like a couple of minutes each one of them. And they would just keep hugging and keep hugging. And there was just so much gratitude. And it's like, you just want a million suitcases on that other side. And that's what this whole project has been. Like if I can summarize what we're doing is we're just trying to lighten the burden that these people are going through. We do have interpreters at times with us, but I did a lot of things, just me first, right? When it's just a male and you're trying to convince women and children to come join you in a van, it just sounds like a creeper operation. And you're, offer, and you're offering a hotel. I mean, it's like everything that they've been taught to not do, I'm asking them to do, which is crazy. It's kind of that unfortunate thing about our life, our world. I don't blame any of them that don't trust me or are, are unsure. But for those that we can win their trust, I mean, I'll show them my Facebook page. I'll show them my family. I'll show them, you know, who we are, who I am, you know. And, and But when I brought my wife, she didn't have to show them anything. Because when a woman comes in there, I mean, it's like the best volunteer is a woman, especially a woman with, with kindness. And sometimes she just put her arm on top of the, her sh the shoulder of another lady and she just, the other woman just starts crying. No Words are spoken, and then she brings her in for a hug, and they just cry. My wife did this everywhere she went, just just hugged and helped these women. When I came to this, I expected to see a, a Red Cross somewhere, and I expected to see UNICEF, and I expected to see some of these bigger names, bigger bigger people, and and some of these organizations. I don't want to call them out, but they'll come. Well, they'll come and they'll take a picture, and they'll post that they're there. But that's all they did. They staged it but they didn't stay there. So I, I, don't, I don't know, maybe, maybe that's something more important to go, but, but like this like this Israeli tent, I never met them and I don't know them, but they're volunteers from all over. There's a lot of people from America that are inside this tent that are part, they're all different parts of these groups, but they work together to some degree and they come from everywhere. And they're just, you know, most volunteers are coming in for a weekend or a week, two weeks, and then they're leaving, right? So we're constantly, because I've been here for almost four, coming on four weeks. I've just seen it turn over so much, but the organization stays, but different people keep coming. So you keep having to reestablish relationships in these different places. But there's all these little, just 
these little pop-up tents, like the some of these smaller border sites that we've gone to. Like I go in there and see who's in charge, like the acting director or whoever, and they're like, "Oh, actually, we don't have anybody in charge over here." Then I hear a guy with an English sounds English, and I'm like, "Hey, where are you from?" He's in Chicago. I was like, "So who who's running this?" Just oh, we all just we all just work together. We're all from different places in the world. We're not with any organization. We just work together and help help get the site moving. And that's what you'll see a lot of these places. And a lot of people always ask me, "What can I do up there? What can I do up there?" And I it's funny because there's a lot of these places that are run by the Polish government, but you can get, you can get this little wristband here and like you bring your passport and you'll get signed up within two minutes and you can work it. You can work at the train station, you can work anywhere and they'll just give you a yellow vest and you can do whatever they, they, they are need of. Who is handing out the, the wrist bracelet thing and the vests? So these are, this is the Poland, Polish government that would do that. And those are the main site, you know, the main refugee center. And for every Polish uh, border site, there is a, there's a small little prepping tent right when they come over and then they get a bus ride to a actual refugee center where there'll be cots and more stuff. And then they have buses or trains to get them to the main city. And they have another refugee center by the main city. And even train centers, train centers take volunteers too because there's so many refugees in them. You just look for needs and you'll fill them. Like we found, oh, coloring books was a massive hit in the, in the center. Uh, and then when you're in these centers, you start recognizing some of the needs they have. Like they have tons of donations. Clothes are coming out the woodworks. But you know what they don't have? Socks. There are no socks because people don't donate socks. And nobody's buying new socks and sending it to them. So they have no socks. This is something we just found out two days ago. Uh, people are always asking for socks and they don't have socks. So <laughs> there's just like little things like that. You'll find out these little nuggets and then other things we found out that they need a dehydration uh, tablet and pills because a lot of people are coming across this border dehydrated. And, uh, and they're totally out of stock everywhere in Poland to get them. And so I just reached out to my family back home and people that are coming up, we're loading up suitcases and bringing them and then we brought them up to some of these people. Uh, it's this medic guy that's not, he's been on Fox News many times. He goes across the border. We gave it to him. He's like, oh, I cannot believe it. Thank you so much. I've been trying to get these for, I, you have no idea how long. How many people would you say are coming through each day in, in the areas where you are? When, when Russia was sort of surrounding Kiev, it slowed down a lot. And then, then when Ukraine had pushed them back 10 or 20 miles, we had a huge sur- surge of people coming through. It's, we had people that were on this side that were trying to get family out of there. And they said all the roads were closed and they couldn't get out. But when they pushed back, the roads opened. I think that gave a lot of people in the capital at least a lot of fear, like, I, I, we got to get out of here because that was too close of a call. Mm-hmm. You know, we almost got stuck. And it's just really, really inconsistent. It goes up and down. It's, it's always busy. But then it gets really busy. And the weird part is it gets really busy the later it gets at night, which is also when there's less, uh, less buses and less trains. So a lot of times our guys won't even go out until later at night because they, they know that's the, uh, that's the time that there's going to be more of a desperation situation. Are there people that are taking advantage of them? So I personally haven't seen it 
I've heard of one incident incident about that, but all the people I have seen, there are just good Samaritans out here. You know, that's one of my theories at least too, is the more good people that are doing this, the less bad people can get them, right? There's less options. On the Polish side, I mean, they've got a lot of, we got to get our passport information. We get, we get a green wristband for a driver and they'll check out somebody out of one of those places, they'll write down that code with our code. And so, I mean, it, they're doing something. I don't know what happens after that though, you know, but we're doing something, trying to slow down the process of something happening. I, I kind of call it waves because people come and they serve it again and then they go. I'm like on my fourth wave of people, like a fourth weaker, so to speak, of people coming and going. And so now we've created more of a system and a process. And now we've, we've had some guys have gone home and they wrote up like a, a driver's guide manual, you know, just give some tips and tricks and all the different things and helping the next guys. And so now we send that link out to people that show up and they can see what they expect and going forward. And so it's a progressive change. And so I know how to help people that want to drive and we're working on a volunteer list of like all the places you can volunteer at. Because being up here, you, you learn about all these ones. Like there's a brand new one that just opened up two days ago. Uh, Save the Children just opened up a huge facility and they're asking for volunteers. You know, my wife, when she came up, somebody reached out to me and said, can she bring up body armor for the frontline soldiers? Uh, level four body armor, you know? I said, sure. They sent 15, 15 pound body armor vest and weights and, and she loaded all her suitcases. So I met a guy that was doing supply runs in the border. So I asked him, can he, I sent him the information. So a lot of these guys that are former military, the U.S. guys, foreign military, they're the ones that are going in and doing supply runs. As people are listening and they're like, oh, I could never do that. I'm working or what. You know what? There's a lot of guys here that do say, hey, I'm not available from this time to this time. I got to take a conference call. I got a web meeting. I got a whatever. So, yeah, there are people that, that work from here. That was Lance Foster from Arizona, who is currently in Poland as a volunteer to help Ukrainian refugees. Next, I spoke with Lance Foster's brother, Thury Foster, from Sammamish, who speaks about their campaign for suitcases inspired by Lance's story. Are you going to be taking some suitcases then, or will well, you buy them once you get there? We'll buy them once we get there. So what they do right now is they, they buy suitcases from local Polish luggage stores. And since I did the GoFundMe fundraiser, you know, suitcases for Ukraine, we are, so far we were able to raise uh, $13,000. $13, and we also, the their favorite suitcase that they were purchasing in Poland, I was able to contact that, that manufacturer and they are a, a Polish suitcase manufacturer. And we were able to negotiate uh, wholesale pricing so that the money that we raise, we're, we're really going to be able to buy a whole lot more suitcases than we've been able to do before. Okay, so you were able to uh, get that work done over here while your brother is shuttling people back and forth between the border of Ukraine and Poland to the Krakow train station. Yes. What will you be taking then in your suitcase? Will you be taking some provisions? Because <laughs> we have the nine-person nine you know, shuttle vans, and so there we have like five to seven of them operating at any time because it really depends on just basically people who are willing to spend your own money to get there, to stay there, to 
all your supplies, you pay for your own van, you pay for your own gas to just help out. So what happens is when you have um, refugees come into your van, you always have lots of children because I, I think you probably are aware that like half the refugees are children. A lot of times they were leaving their homes, they didn't bring activities for the kids to do. So I'm bringing a, a lot of matchbox cars and a lot of uh, coloring books. <laughs> One thing that I've seen just doing the Go, GoFundMe, raising money for the suitcases is, is a lot of people are wanting to help too. And what they've told me is they were just grateful to be able to have a method that they could actually have a direct impact on Ukrainian refugees. And really, it's maybe a simple thing, a suitcase, but it does really ease the burden of mothers and children. We're only really at one border crossing, but I think long-term, the vision for suitcases would really be to be able to find a suitcase manufacturer that'd be willing to donate a lot of suitcases. And then all we would need is volunteers positioned at every, every um, border crossing in Poland and the other countries that have Ukrainian refugees coming through. And then, I mean, the goal would be every Ukrainian refugee that wants a suitcase can get a suitcase. That was Thury Foster from Sammamish, who was leaving for Poland this past Sunday. You can learn more about their program at GoFundMe, Suitcases for Ukraine. 91.3 KBCS, The Grit. This is Yuko Kodama. For more KBCS stories and to support our work with a donation, you can visit kbcs.fm.